Hey there, this is Angie Wachowski, and you are listening to Bet On You Radio. This is the place where we feature what I like to consider ordinary people who are just extraordinary, doing really cool things. And as you hear their story, I hope you feel inspired to think of ways that you can take some small risks in your life too. When we hear the Bet On You message, you might first turn to the thought that this is about only singular, perhaps considered selfish pursuits, but I wanna help expand your thinking about areas where you can take risks. We're all a part of a community, and the beauty of a community is that people give, and I think that there is a sense of moral and ethical responsibility to serve the communities that we're a part of. So today's guest is gonna to talk to us about service, and she's one of my favorite people here in Northern <laughs> Michigan. This is Pastor Jane Lippert, she's the outreach coordinator at Central United Methodist Church. And you, if you've been to Traverse City, you've seen this beautiful, magnificent church right in the heart of downtown. But that's not where Pastor Jane shares her message. She shares her message in the streets, in the prisons, in the jails in our community. She talks to people who are just financially insecure, who are homeless, and that's where she shares her message and her service. So we're gonna talk about that in our time today. But before we do that, I would love to turn our attention, Pastor Jane, and just talk about you because your story coming into, into faith, into service is just fascinating. So we'll start by where did you grow up? Well, I grew up in Northern Michigan. Yeah. I grew up in Manistee, mm -hmm. which is just about an hour south of Traverse City. And um, I was one of seven children, four boys, three girls. I was number five. Um, most of my family are educators. Oh, really? Like teachers yeah. and schools? Yeah, guidance counselors, professors, you know, most of my siblings. Two of them are in insurance, and then there's me, the oddball. <laughs> <laughs> but I had a free-range childhood, you know, where you left the house in the morning, and you'd show back up at lunch if you wanted to eat, and then you'd go back out again and go to the nearby swamp or go play kickball or play street games till it was dark. And um, I had loving parents. You know, my father came from a very um, rigid Germanic family. And so that translates, you don't talk much about feelings or... Um, uh, Oh, I had one of those. Just, just, yeah. <laughs> just have conflict and, you know, you just don't talk, that type of thing. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, I can't even imagine if I were to come home from school telling my dad, can we just talk about our emotions of the day? <laughs> that would not have been a conversation. <laughs> but as a parent, that's a conversation I want to have with my kids. Yeah, I but know. But it just wasn't existing in our household. <laughs> Sorry, Dad, but it just wasn't. <laughs> where did you want to take your life after you graduated high school? I'd be fascinated how you how well, you found Well, I thought I was going to be a teacher, of course. Mm -hmm. And um, so I went to college, went to Alma College, and um, started in an education, elementary education um, track. And fortunately, that school at that time was ahead of the curve. And the beginning of your sophomore year, you would do a in-class kind of observation internship. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't mature enough to get my mind around watching how there were, you couldn't wait till everybody was on board. You had to, you know, there were some kids that just got further and further behind um, not getting the concepts. And um, I thought, I can't live with that. 
<laughs> so I uh, enjoyed sociology, so I became a sociology major. And I didn't know when I switched to that what I would be doing with it. Um, I don't know, is that enough of that, or do you want oh, to Oh, no, know? that's wonderful. Okay. So, <laughs> so going from sociology into ministry, what was that leap like? How did you find faith? I imagine that you grew up. I grew up, yeah, I grew up in um, a United Methodist family. Um, you know, we only prayed at Thanksgiving and Christmas. We never <laughs> talked theology or what we believed. It was, you know, very dutiful. I think very 50s, 60s, you know, 70-ish approach to church life. Um, but I was very active and involved, as were my parents. Um, and when I was in uh, college... Uh, I worked on a um, putting on this, the yearly um, first couple of weeks of school where the freshmen would come early, and so I worked on that team, and I ended up working with the chaplain, David McDaniels. How's that for a Scottish Presbyterian? <laughs> and uh, he said, you know, um, there's this scholarship. They're trying to encourage people who Aren't, haven't studied religion or biblical studies to go to seminary to broaden. And so there's this full, um, paid-in-full scholarship that wow. I think you should apply for. And I said, don't, I don't know. You know, I said, I don't think I'm ready to be good enough. Maybe in 15 years or so. And he said, good enough. And he threw his cigarettes on the table. And then he said, I drink beer. I cuss sometimes, and I thought, hmm. Well, there's the bar. <laughs> I can trip over that, can't you? Yeah, it was kind of like that. And so then I got involved in applying for this, which was essays and interviews. Yeah. And I didn't get it. <laughs> you didn't get the scholarship? But the process really uh, opened up a door I never would have imagined. Oh, my gosh. And... Um, I ended up going to seminary, not really knowing what I was going to be doing, but just because, you know, my soul had been stirred and it, it really felt like this is the, the most meaningful thing I can do right now. So I thought I'll go and be a counselor. That is incredible. <laughs> and there weren't that many women, again, not a popular career choice for women. No. And I didn't have, I, you know, I knew of one woman, in fact, she was in Traverse City, an associate, and I hadn't really thought much about it because she'd worked in youth ministry in the area. It wasn't till later I thought, well, she was a pastor. And when I got to seminary, I did an internship in a local church, Lexington, Massachusetts, and I thought, mm, this, is, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah, it That's... was like walking How backwards. How old were you? Oh my gosh, how old were you at the time? Oh, okay, 23. Wow, to have that type of calling at 23 is really powerful. And tell yes. me what yes. that feels like. Is it, I don't know, do you, do you get anointed? What happens? Do you get a <laughs> diploma? Do you get a certificate? How do you? Well, in our system, it is kind of rigorous. So mm -hmm. um, you do have to have a master's degree in theology and divinity. And you need to go through a series of interviews and two different, you know, you get 
one accreditation than another. You have mm -hmm. to have psychological testing and so on. And then you need to serve so they can evaluate your practical skills too. And then you get ordained. Is that Which a, is a blessing. It's, you know? it's amazing. I imagine it's a moment of tremendous pride and off, yeah. probably pressure and stress because yeah. now you're <laughs> responsible <laughs> for something. And then where do you go? Do you get assigned to a church? In the Methodist system, we're appointed, so okay. we're sent, but we belong to particular regions. And so um, at the time, it was Western Michigan. And mm -hmm. um, I served a rural I started, well, my husband's clergy too, Chris, and we served rural churches, and then um, we were in a small city in Muskegon and served kind of blue, cra blue, um, blue collar. We've had separate appointments up to that point, and then our bishop asked us to go and plant a new church in Grand Rapids. So it was something I never would have imagined myself doing. And I remember just, you know, talking with one of my sisters saying, you know, I just never, you know, saw myself doing something like this. And she said, well, what's the worst that could happen? So I thought, when else would I have this chance? And it was probably the hardest and the most fulfilling local church ministry what was the hard part? I imagine it was like starting a business. In many ways, it is like starting a business and um, gathering people to be in a community. Um, the fun part was it's like starting a business from scratch. So you get to determine the values and the vision and some structure and things like that. Uh, and then the people came. So it was... It was, it was fun, drew on creativity, um, met some amazing people. We were there for, I mean, 15 years wow. working in that. And um, Chris and I laugh and say, and we're still married. I was going to say, working with <laughs> your spouse. Working with your spouse for that long, really. Thank God you both had God at the center. <laughs> you, could, you could pray together at various times, I'm yeah, sure, every exactly. single day to say, please hold us in this church together. So I would, you know, obviously, um, being in the ministry, it, it's a vocation, it's a calling, and it is a job. And like any mm -hmm. job, right, you like some things, you like other things, you know, you have to you know, share your message. And in, in a homily scenario, you get to counsel and support yeah. people. Mm -hmm. And mostly people don't come to pastors when they're feeling great. They probably come to you on their knees when they need serious support yeah, and concern. Often, so yeah. when did you find, like, what were your favorite parts of mm. your ministry? Well, exact, being with people at um, rites of passage, so getting to be with a couple when a child is just born or um, on their wedding day or um, at the time that someone's dying or being with a family to celebrate the life and help them process grief and um, baptisms and those rites of passage. It was always such a privilege to be invited into those intense moments in people's lives. And how do you, when those intense moments are maybe loss of a child or death of a spouse, how do you manage that? Because there's obviously an emotional connection you have mm -hmm. and you have 
you're human, you have feelings too. How do you process that? Well, I think um, you remember your role and and the role, you know, what you're symbolizing to this family and um, and what they're needing. You know, they're, they're needing a non-anxious um, place of listening and presence more than anything. They don't need the answers, but they they do need to feel like some connection with God. And as clergy often, um, you know, that you have to accept that that's what you are in that moment for them is a reminder that God is present with them. You spend a lot of your time now out in our community, so perhaps not, you know, preaching inside the church, but sharing your message to homeless and financially insecure mm -hmm. folks in our community. What, um, how did you come into these opportunities? Does the church say, Jane, you, you seem to have an interest in, in connecting with these people, or is it really just like you seeing an opportunity and saying, we have this population in our community that just needs attention. I see an opportunity. How does that come about to you? Well, actually, um, it's one of those times when a gift came out of a crisis. And um, I was serving a local church, and um, I've always been someone that's very active with issues of social justice. And um, I was uh, a part of a march for pro-marriage equality. And not only that, you know, our picture was taken. It was on the front page of the local newspaper. Um, we were interviewed for an article with the local newspaper. And even though in the article I'd said, I understand that this is my view, that there are people in my congregation that are very different points. Um, there were they're the proverbial hit the pan, you know, <laughs> hit the fan, you know. Um, there was a very vocal minority that was just repulsed um, by my stance in public. And um, it was tough for the congregation because there was there was this pushback on me and people saying that, you know, when you took on this role, um, you knew that you'd have to give up being able to um, push, you know, your own personal social issues. And I thought, well, no, I didn't. But And then there were people in the congregation who were able to come in and say, oh, my son is gay. I, now I know he'll be safe with you. Or my neighbor is gay and I never bring it up here because I was afraid I would be judged. And and in all truth, like in any system, um, crisis kind of uncovers uh, bad issues or underlying communication strains that were already there. And I know I can definitely understand it, doesn't it? Reveals, again, opportunities that you can take your message further. And so we're going to take a quick break. And I appreciate you sharing. Again, we're talking about bet on you and taking risks. Sometimes you have to take a stand for your values. And that's such a such an important lesson I think we can all learn 
when we think about ways that we can express things that matter to us most. When we come back, I'm going to ask Pastor Jane our five favorite questions, and I want to talk a little bit about service, too. Hey everyone, this is Angie Wachowski. I'm one of the co-authors of Bet On You. This is the companion to the radio program. So if you're enjoying what you're listening to, check out this book. Inside there's some really great guidance and a code that takes you to an online platform that helps you dream better and imagine ways that you can bet on yourself. Check it out. Here today with Pastor Jane Lippert talking about the value of service. And she's talking about opportunities sometimes come from crisis. So if you want to pick up on your story, just sure. talking about your ministry work and. Yeah, so I talked about how, you know, a crisis broke out at the church I was serving. And I stayed there to help them through the worst throes of it. And then I chose to take a uh, personal leave of absence from ministry to do kind of a um, unpaid sabbatical and study um, spirituality, spiritual but not religious, and um, confirmed for me that I wanted to be able to speak who I was ethically and morally. And also, I wanted to work with populations who felt uh, rejected or ostracized by church or or. Christianity. And so I was, you know, open and looking and not sure what that would look like. And I was sitting in church with my daughter, Rachel, who's a young adult. And there was, they were advertising, looking for someone to be the outreach coordinator. And she said, mom, this is so you. And I had to think a lot because it was going from a salaried pension position to a $15 an hour. <laughs> position that wasn't full time and but I just thought this because I'm married to someone who can provide health insurance it wasn't as big of a financial burden but it was a big decision to jump there but I just felt really drawn to work with folks who um you know through series of events through series of bad choices ended up on the outside. I know we don't serve to gain benefit, or we <laughs> shouldn't serve, I should say, to gain benefit from the experience. But I would be curious, what what do you get from reaching out and touching people who, again, op often aren't seen? Mm -hmm. You know, the raw honesty of folks who live... Um, have to live ruggedly or live a very high-stress life. Um, people in transition, people who, whose lives, nothing has been modeled that has been helpful with life skills or navigating um, becoming what most of us would consider successful. That, that raw honesty is so powerful, and it keeps me grounded, and it keeps me humble. Um, I also, you know, appreciate that every day that I'm at work, um, you know, we're primarily a feeding program. So, mm -hmm. um, every day that I'm work, I'm doing something that's, you know, Jesus said, feed the hungry. You know, I get to do that every day that I'm at work as well as, um, 
a lot of other things he said in the Sermon of the Mount, but I, I can feel that that just very basic being able to make a difference even in a small way each day. I think that's something that we all want to feel. And I'm hoping that if you're listening to this too, you can think of small ways that you can get a little bit more engaged. You do not have to look much further than reaching out to your local church too, to even asking the question, how can I help? Even if you have five minutes, 10 minutes, you know, a couple hours here or there, small things make huge differences to people. We're going to transition now and talk about my favorite questions, which is where you get to share some of the wisdom that you've acquired along your life journey. My first question is, can you share a book that inspired you? So many. I love books. Reading is one of my favorite things. Love your books. Thank you. (laughs) Not Uh, necessary, but thank you. A book I read when I was on that personal sabbatical was called Christianity After Religion by Diana Butler Bass. Hmm. And she's a sociologist, historian, theologian. And so she looked at kind of the breakdown of authority, people respecting authority in our country, you know, some of the major movements like the Vietnam War, Watergate and things, and then how that's impacted um, impacted church and how people view the church. Mm. And, you know, it, it also brings out the spiritual but not religious and how we can honor that. Oh, I like that. I like yeah. that a lot. And I'd love to hear from you one piece of feedback given to you at one point in your life that was illuminating. Yeah. You know... Uh, I've been given a lot of great feedback and some uncomfortable feedback, and it always gives you reason. But I remember I was in the middle of, you know, the personal side of my crisis and when things blew up at the church. And one of my younger brothers, who I'm very close to, Mac, um, said to me, "Uh, you know, Jane, you don't always have to speak out. And it was in the context of sometimes you don't need to say what you think or what your cause is, or, you know, sometimes you can choose to not speak and wait for timing or choose where you want to be. And it just really, I still think about it. I still, you know, it still informs you know, like Ecclesiastes, there's a time to, you know, lean in, there's a time to lean out, right? So and that. not everything needs a response right away. Exactly. <laughs> wait, yes. <laughs> Can you share a favorite activity that you have in the community? Uh, I love getting outside and hiking and walking. This area has so much. And um, some favorites are along the Boardman or the High Rollaways. That new Boardman Trail is just incredible. Oh, isn't it? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I love hiking. And this might be uh, an obvious answer to me, but where was a favorite place of yours to eat? Oh, gosh, there's so many. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're going to say Wednesday meals at Central United, but but beyond that, not that. What's your favorite place to eat? Um, Well, for Italian, Stella's. Mm. And... um, Oh, for burrito Spanglish. 100% true. Everything mm, up at the commons yeah, is pretty phenomenal. It's so good. Last um, question for you. Can you share one piece of advice that you think is really important for our audience to know? I think um, that if a crisis or a tough point comes up in your life, listen 
and invite a counselor or siblings or friends to help you process it because often there's a gem in there and a gift um, that can enhance your life rather than beating you down. That is great guidance. Thank you so much. I know this 30-minute interview always goes by so fast. <laughs> I could talk you, to Angie. you for hours, Pastor Jane. <laughs> but I hope again that as you listen to Bet On You Radio and you hear Pastor Jane's story, that you're inspired to go out there and make meaningful change in your life and obviously, too, for the lives of others. Thank you all so much. Thank you, WTCM. Thank you, our sponsor, Morsels, and have a great rest of your day. Bye-bye.